Hello and welcome to Crafting Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I am your host. Every Wednesday and Friday, I am bringing you interviews with female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. Today's guest is Tamara Robertson. You may know her from Mythbusters, Mythbusters The Search, and Mythbusters Junior, along with all the amazing things that is she is doing on her own, like her very own science comic, um, and all the things she's involved in because of her immense passion for getting girls specifically more involved in science and technology. So it was a blast getting to talk with her and just learn her story um, and also to just learn like maybe what it's like to be more in the spotlight than uh, others of us who are not or maybe if that's a path we look to going forward kind of having an understanding what we may need to consider before doing that so really grateful to have uh, Tamara on as a guest with me and I know you're going to enjoy this interview before we hop on in to the interview with her though I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on patreon so thank you so much Annette of 513 Woodworks Katie Thompson Women in Woodworking Kevin Lefty's Workshop Christy, Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Sven, Door Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom, Bonnie, Toolmomstore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Brandy, Studio Obey, Lee, The Rainbow Carver, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support helping me to produce two episodes a week every week and with no further ado here is Tamara. Um, For sure. All right well I do like to start by having my guests introduce themselves so would you do that for me? Yeah absolutely so I'm Tamara Robertson. I'm a chemical and biomolecular engineer uh, but most people don't know me from my professional career they know me from my tv one so I've spent the last four years in people's living rooms via Discovery and Science Channel on Mythbusters, Mythbusters of Search, Mythbusters Junior, and uh, probably my personal favorite, Psyjinx, uh, where I got to use science to break people. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so before we get to like where you're at, I want to ask like, where'd you, where'd you grow up and what kind of things were you interested in as a kid? So I grew up in Eastern North Carolina. I'm the child of two Marines that met one night while standing duty together. Um, luckily, it was the time in history where, you know, they uh, they were allowed to date in, in, in grouping because I know mm-hmm. nowadays fraternization like that, especially since he was older, was not allowed or is not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I grew up in Eastern North Carolina in a no stoplight town. Uh, Literally, if you blink, you miss us. And I grew up loving tinkering. You know, I, my dad was deployed most of my childhood, uh, both like overseas uh, during Desert Storm. And then he was stationed at Quantico. So he moved around while we stayed stationary. And so my favorite thing to do when dad was home was to follow him around in the garage. And so I became kind of his, his tool buddy. He would like tell me to go and get things and I would go grab them. And um, I always joke that the best thing, the best tool to have in a shop is little hands um, because that was the biggest tool that, that I was. I would reach through things and he would mm-hmm. hand me things and I would pull them back through. So I grew up, you know, rebuilding engines with him, rebuilding houses, uh, just doing a lot of things that at the time, I didn't really connect with like engineering or STEM or anything like that. I didn't connect it with making. Um, It was just me and dad in the shop. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the best things that my dad did for me was he never, he never said that I was a girl in the shop. I was just, I was just someone in the shop with him. 
um, which I wish the rest of my community echoed, but it did not. So mm -hmm. I actually, um, I tell people I had to grow up a closet maker because I wasn't allowed to be who I was um, in a lot of ways, not just with, with my building and my community um, because it just, they, you know, it's a debutante South. It wasn't acceptable. Mm -hmm. I should have had long flowing curls and be putting on makeup and be walking down, you know, all the stuff that I still cringe when I see little kids doing. Um, but I think it's just, it's programmed in me mm -hmm. to cringe. Um, but it's something that as time grew, I, I kind of, you know, put away and it was something else. And I had a lot of troubles with the fact that, you know, I was a, a huge tomboy. I always had a pixie cut. I literally had a pixie cut going into COVID. This is my COVID hair. Uh, it's what happens when I don't have a barber. Um, but it was something that I got made fun of a lot for and something that I ran away from fully just to be able to try to have friends, um, which didn't actually work. My friends were my books, but I'm okay with that because I learned a lot. Um, but it's it's one of those things that I've really enjoyed being able to embrace now and find those young kids that were like me that may you know may not have friends and and show them now the, the joy of the internet where they can connect mm -hmm. with other people that have similar interests and tell people in their hometown to you know you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So it's, uh, it's been something that shaped my, my whole journey, but I've enjoyed uh, trying to make sure it doesn't shape others. Mm -hmm. And yes, I've seen the pixie cut much better with the pixie cut. Um. <laughs> I miss it. It's so much easier, especially in a shop. Like yes. this is, I just throw this up all the time. Um, but it's like one of those things that my barber, you know, LA is just opening this week. Mm -hmm. So my barber may come back to her post soon, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah, when you ran away from the no stoplight town, did you go straight to California? <laughs> no, actually, it's really weird. Like my my goal was I got to get out. I got to get out. You know, um, the the running like theory of our town is it's, it's a black hole. And if you don't get far enough away, it just sucks <laughs> you back in. Um, and so I actually went to, I went to, um, tech college first and that was like a whole thing. Like I actually got a full appointment to the U S air force Academy. Um, I got four out of five of the appointments you need. And then my childhood asthma bumped me two months before I was supposed to leave for the Academy. Um, so I was left like scrambling. Cause I was like, no, the black holes are getting me. Um, and so I looked at and found a technical school nearby that had an associates in science that I could sign up for. And I was still like, you know, the military at the time was like, yeah, just get, get to 10 years, post anything with your asthma and you can come in and, and we'll put you right back in the program. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a history major. I'm going to go into JAG. It's going to be great. Uh, I'm still going to be able to get out of this town. And so uh, about two years into my college career um, as a, as a history major, I had I think 10 minors uh, because I was so <laughs> bored um, and they were like, and I had it in creative writing. I had it in, in biology. I had it, you know, in all of these different like math, all this stuff. And I had a teacher sit me down and she's like, why are you not, why are you not pursuing engineering? And I like kind of laughed at her. I was like, I was like, that's not something girls do, you know? Cause I had never met an engineer in real life. The only engineer mm -hmm. I knew was Scotty from Star Trek. And I'm like, this is just not something that uh, that's real for me, you know? And so she took me up to NC state and I sat in a material science class. And for the first time I felt challenged and engaged. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I went back and I researched like, what's the highest paid engineering degree you can get and not have to go for an MS or PhD. Cause I knew I was self-funding, you know, mm -hmm. um, at the time I was living in my car to be able to pay for school. So I was like, look, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do this if it's more at a mm -hmm. university, um, if it's more than just two more years. And so I transferred up to NC state um, and go Wolfpack. Um, and I started school there and I still had this goal, like, I got to get out of North Carolina. I got to get out of North Carolina. Um, and so my senior project was designing the entire downstream process for this vaccines company with, with a group, like not by myself, obviously, mm -hmm. as a student. And we, like, I basically had, I took this job in Louisiana uh, for a really cool company. There is a, there's a chemistry that burns in air and explodes in water. 
Oh, wow. And it's really <laughs> cool. What, and it's, what's weird is that it does that to form flame retardants. And, but it's like the coolest thing when they put it out in a, mm-hmm. in a garbage can and they lift it, it starts burning for no reason. And then they try to put it out with a fire hose and it starts exploding. <laughs> I'm like the only person that stepped forward. And they're like, maybe you don't get to use this. I don't like, and so they, all, but they off they did offer me a job. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out. And then I graduated in 2009 in the middle of our recession. And so everyone's job offers got, were getting rescinded across the board. Like all of us were like, nope, you're, you know, it's no longer there. And so I was scrambling, but I had, again, designed this process for this company and they were just building a vaccines facility in North Carolina. And so I like came back and I didn't tell them that the job offer was gone. Cause you never, you never tell right. me that. And so right. I was like, you know, I've really enjoyed working with the team. And if you would like to keep me, I could stay closer to my family this way, which was never the goal. Right. <laughs> never the goal to stay in that, that town. And so they're like, oh yeah, no, we'd love to. So of course we did the whole like thing. And so I ended up staying in North Carolina for almost, uh, I was in Raleigh, I think for 10 years. And so like I helped design and build the vaccines facility. I got sent abroad during swine flu pandemic to make vaccine for that. And then um, around that time, the, a company that I had interned with uh, in South Carolina, who I loved, um, they came back and they said, hey, we're now allowed to hire and we would love to hire you. And they came back a couple of times and I kept saying, no, I'm not quite at that point because I wanted to see the process all the way through mm-hmm. validation. Like I wanted to learn everything I could. I wanted to make sure that we were manufacturing full time at our plant because um, there's just something that's really amazing about watching something go from like a PNID design drawing mm-hmm. to being a real life thing that you have to live with. Um, mm-hmm. Especially when you do some of the design and you're like, man, I should have put in more cabinets. Um, <laughs> but it was one of those things that eventually it got to the right time and I moved to South Carolina. Um, and then during that career path, um, I was doing a lot of traveling. I think I traveled like 90% of the time. So it became really obvious that we didn't I didn't have to be there. And my partner at the time was in aerospace and really wanted to get back into that. But mm. at that point, we were defunding all of the actual public programs and everything mm-hmm. was going privatized. So all of the aerospace that used to be in the South was closing their doors as yep. far as like the contract stuff. They mm-hmm. just weren't getting them anymore because NASA's like, we're not going to invest um, or more, not NASA, but the public said, yeah. we're not going to invest, Right. And so luckily around that time was when, you know, Elon and Richard Branson had both decided to invest and put things in California. And so I was like, well, I've been doing this like acting thing for fun on the side as a creative hobby. Like maybe if we end up there, I could do a little bit more of this. So my partner and I moved out to LA. Um, first, I took a global position at a new company that they, I was like, can I live anywhere? And they're like, yeah, you can live anywhere. <laughs> and so I was actually launching a global division for a Houston company for the first f- several years that I was in LA. Um, and it was kind of one of those things that I like ended up here and I was like, yeah, this is great. Um, but in my career, um, I had finally gotten to that, that top and I was like, okay, I'm ready to turn around and like pull up the next ladies. Mm-hmm. And there were no ladies <laughs> for like three tiers of management. And so in 2015, I was like, I'm going to leave this and I'm going to go into full-time outreach. And it was weird because I gave myself a year. I was like, I have a year to just do outreach. And then I got to figure out what I'm going to do as a grown up. And almost a year to the day was when Mythbusters and search called and offered me the ability to come and be part of the 10 to compete. Mm-hmm. And then everything just changed from there. So the outreach is still 100% my normal job. And then I consult for engineering <laughs> now to fill the void between shows, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's uh, it was a long, it was a long little circular track, but you know, it's, it's one of those things I love. I love the Southeast. I love the people there. Um, I miss them. You know, people here are not they're not quite genuine and nice. I'll put it that way. Um, I, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, people in LA are measuring up a few things. They're, they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out, can you give me money? Can I make money off you? Or can, you know, is there just a way to rise together and, and take your money along the way? Like they're never, 
there's not real friendships here. Yeah. Uh, and most people here are transient. It's, it's a lot like the military town I grew up in. People come, they try to, they try to like make it right. Not realizing that making it takes decades. Uh, and within two or three years they leave. So it's a, uh, it's yeah. a very different, different place. Um, yeah. I miss the Southeast a lot. I spent a lot of time going back to the Southeast. Yeah. <laughs> Hey makers. So today's podcast episode is sponsored in part by Alicia Van Osdahl, who is the owner of Basil Blue Design Company. Alicia is a maker of all things, really. Her focus is on beautiful craftsmanship through woodworking, repurposing, refinishing art and sculpture. Her background includes 30 years of graphic design, logos and branding. If you have an idea or concept, that and need a creative solution or graphic design, you can email Alicia directly at Alicia, and that is A-L-I-C-I-A at basilblue.com. Or you can visit her website at www.basilblue.com. And fun fact, uh, Alicia actually designed the logo for Crafting Revolution. So that is an example of the impeccable work you can expect if that is something you are in the market for. So be sure to look up Alicia again at her website, basilblue.com. All right, let's get back into the action. I spent, my wife and I uh, spent almost five years in Oceanside, California, mm. um, which is a military town. Um, but we were there for work and we only went to LA and Hollywood area twice. And that was twice too many for me. Um yeah. I, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, so it is kind of, it's that whole genuine piece. And it was very much like your proximity to Hollywood does not make you important. Um, no, so. no. And what, what part of the Midwest though? Um, we live in Iowa, so it's like pretty much smack dab in the center of the country. Okay. Um, yeah, but it, and it is just a different culture. Now, San Diego area that, you know, where we lived, like I loved, um, and it's very, it was still hard to get used to. Like, there's just very laid back. And I'm very much like, go, 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 go. Like, you know, <laughs> so that was definitely hard to get used to. But yeah. San Diego um, is is beautiful. It it's, is. And it's, the temperature is always perfect. I'm like, yes. how did you do that? It's like, they have a bubble <laughs> yeah. that no one can see. I'm like, how are you making this beautiful weather and temperature at all times here? Yep. Like, you yep. guys, you guys have got some computer programming that we need elsewhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I definitely miss being in that part of the country sometimes. Um, so when you say outreach, what do you mean by outreach? Oh man, it's everything. It's crazy. So like I, well, the main focus of my outreach now is my superhero science, but it took a little while to get there. So I, I basically just went out and was doing STEM and was trying to talk to more little girls about getting into engineering and, and telling them, you know, we're, we can be in engineering. We can, we can help each other. We can be equal to guys. Like you can build anything you want to build. Like, let's do this together. Um, my big takeaway for all kids is, you know, where your story began doesn't define where it ends. You do. And that persistence is what pays off because just like those, you know, the majority that come here and only spend two or three years that don't realize it takes decades just sticking around for year four, five, six mm -hmm. gets you further, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you just keep that persistence and tenacity and play, you'll get there. But we don't, we don't teach young girls to break things, get dirty, fail. Like we, we, for some reason program them that they have to be perfect, you know, like in, in all ways, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. And <laughs> this may be like an overshare. I don't know, but like, I grew up in a world where you weren't allowed to have bodily functions outside of your private home as a girl yeah. versus like boys can go into the bathroom and do whatever they need to do. And they, they, they get high fives about the noise mm -hmm. and, and all of these things, you know, and it's like in the debutante South, you do that in a bathroom, you get ridiculed when you walk out, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like, we, we don't teach our girls to just be who they are. We, we teach them they have to be programmed into this box. They have to be, they have to be prim proper. They have to be accepting of everything, accommodating of everything. They need to be people pleasers. And so part of what I do is try to teach them like, it's okay to fail because 
in science and engineering, if you're not failing, you're not innovating. Right. You know, and, and I jokingly tell kids that that's why robots are going to take over because AI is, is completely iterating nonstop and breaking everything that it can to figure out the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. And if we don't stop being afraid to fail, we're going to literally get taken over by robots. Um, so it's, <laughs> It's like everything from like, I do, I do keynotes uh, at kids events. I, I host Invent It, Build It Day for Society of Women Engineers each year where I lead a build with 300 little girls. Um, I have a science outreach comic with my compatriot, uh, um, Trace, Dr. Tracy Finara. And it basically in each issue, we uplift a real living scientist and we tackle a real world problem using real science and tech. Of course, our nanoparticles karate chop because it's a comic, mm -hmm. um, but they still work in the way that, you know, that nanoparticles should. Um, and so like, we just did our very first week-long overnight STEM camp in collaboration with Mission Tampa Bay last week. And it was amazing. You know, we had 40 young girls and we were teaching them how to solve all the problems in Tampa Bay, which have taken researchers, you know, decades mm -hmm. to figure out. Um, and it, you know, it just, it kind of fluctuates. Like I brought superhero science there. So the girls were playing, were throwing fireballs all week, replicating Phoenix's powers. We had giant elephant toothpaste exploding to show them She-Hulk. You know, of course, all my superheroes that I pick are female mm -hmm. and STEM related. Um, so there's like an underlying tone that the girls don't always notice. Um, but it's, it's expanded from there. Like I do talks at New York Comic-Con, at San Diego Comic-Con. We did um, the science of Skywalker for sci-fi um, at the last New York Comic-Con. That was an in-person thing. We did, you know, we do science of Westworld, science of Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. all of these. Um, but it's, it's always centered around getting more people excited about engineering and science. And so like, it's one of those things that superhero science works so well because if you go to a little kid and you say, here's Einstein, he's a scientist, isn't that cool? They're, they might say, oh, he's got cool hair, you know? But right. if you go to the same little kid and you say, here's the Hulk. Did you know that the Hulk is Dr. Bruce Banner and Dr. Bruce Banner has, you know, six or seven PhDs right. and they're in all of these areas. They, there isn't science cool. They're like, yeah, science is so cool. And then you come to where they're, they're at, you know? And, and mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing for my outreach. It, it varies based on the audience. Like if, if they're kids that are really into hockey, I'm going to do hockey science. If they're kids that are really into superheroes, I'm going to do superhero science. If they're kids that are really into makeup, I'm going to talk about, talk about, you know, cosmetics and formulation engineers and packaging engineers. Um, and it's something that I feel like that versatility and adaptability helps inspire more kids than mm -hmm. if I was like, no, I'm only ever going to talk about superheroes, you know, like mm -hmm. I want to always talk about superheroes. I mean, I'm literally wearing fight like a girl with princess mm -hmm. Leia on it, <laughs> but I also feel like, you know, you, you inspire more kids if you come to where they're at kind of thing. So it's, yeah. it's everywhere. It's, it's comics, it's YouTube videos, it's in person, it's keynotes, it's panels, it's whatever people want. As long as I can talk to the kiddos and get them excited <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's interesting you said that like about the girls being indoctrinated so you know we my youngest is is a girl and my wife and i are both tomboys there's not like a girly girl bone in our bodies and we have a daughter who is princess everything pink everything <laughs> makeup everything and it's like we've actually gone out of our way to try to like you know, de-genderize things. And yet she still comes home and will be like, will laugh and giggle about like, oh, there's a boy in pink and he's wearing girl colors. And we're just like, where do you come up with these things? <laughs> like, it's not from our house. So it's like a whole, it's a whole societal thing, which is mm -hmm. like a very uphill battle <laughs> to it fight. Really <laughs> It really is one of those things too, that it's like, no matter, like, like I said, like my dad never said that building in a shop was supposed to be a boy thing. Mm -hmm. But the minute I got into my community with my short hair and talking about building and trying to like connect, like I was trying to talk to the debutante girls yeah. about building and that went over like a fart in church. Right. <laughs> so then I'm trying to talk to the boys about building because they like building. And then, you know, I'm getting cornered by groups of boys being like, stop trying to be a boy. Stop, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's that part of it that that is hard, right? Because mm -hmm. those the households that the other kids are coming from have a bias and they're they're seeing everything gendered and they're yeah. not making it so that kids can be 
who they are. I will say today is so much better. I mean, growing oh, up yeah. in a military <laughs> town, like you had to, you could, you know, you had to be a certain way, right? So the mm -hmm. boys would, I think they were a lot more accepting of, of us as girls being tomboys from a parent standpoint as yeah. military than yeah. they would have been for like a feminine boy, which is sad because boys need to be able to be emotionally intelligent. Yes. Believe me, <laughs> as, as, as other humans that are connected with them, we would like them to be emotionally yes, yes. intelligent, right? But it's something that for some reason, you know, we just don't, we're not good as a, as a society about letting them be who they are. And I, and I wouldn't say that any other nation is better at it. I think it's something that across the board as humans, we need to become more accepting of. And it's, and it's very interesting because other cultures uh, do are more, there are some cultures that are much more accepting, like the Native American culture, right. for instance, like not non-binary was never a thing for them. It was always just so, you know, they, I think it's a walk of two souls. Yeah. Two spirits. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. The two spirits. Yeah. yeah. So like it is, it's something that I just absolutely love as someone that's, you know, gender fluid. Like I think that being able to be accepted for who you are and not have to be like, you know, I, for the longest time when I was first figuring out how to, I guess, explain who I am, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, the easiest way to say it would be like when I'm in a shop and I'm building, I am fully in my masculine side. Mm -hmm. I do not see any, like there's not going to be a, the hottest guy in the world could walk in and I'm not even going to notice like, mm -hmm. um, and, but when I am like, if I want to go out and I want to go out with my girls, then, then I'll like, I do a whole different thing. And then I'm in my feminine side, or if I'm going out with mm -hmm. a different group, I may stay in my masculine side. It all just depends on where, what I'm doing in the moment. Like it, it is ve a very fluid thing for me. And so when I was talking with another STEM mentor that I, I came and I talked to her group of kids and she started explaining that to me, I was like, this is like, yeah, no, yes, I get it now. <laughs> this is exactly, you know, but it's, it's something that when you don't know, yep. you know, I grew up in a community where you weren't even allowed, you know, you had, it was only allowed to be boy, girl, you know, yep. like, there wasn't even allowed to be multiracial interactions in the, in mm -hmm. the community I grew up. That's how close-minded it was, which I don't miss about the Southeast. Um, like, you just can't be. You just can't be who you are in that, mm -hmm. in that community. And that's why so many people left it, you know? And that's mm -hmm. sad because it's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful yeah. town, you know? Yeah. But, but I think that's a societal push. And yeah. that's something that the generations of people that live that have lived there for now four to five generations they're not going to change nope. <laughs> so those kids in that area may never get to see the more accepting side of society until they leave yep. and that and that to me is the saddest part about going back to my hometown and seeing that them stuck in this time warp of so so long ago you know mm -hmm. yeah i definitely get that like five thousand percent i will say the area i live in in iowa is uh well it's a it's a university town so that's part of it too but it's very very open-minded you know in general and when we were moving back to Iowa that was the conversation we had to have of like okay these are the parts of Iowa we have lived in and now we have like well at that point we had one kid and we planned to have more and I was like we have to go where like for one our kids can go to a school and not be the only kids who have two moms like I refuse to let them go to a school where they're the only kid with two moms um and and an open space too for them just so they can be whoever they end up growing into being mm -hmm. so that's really nice but it's like there are parts and pockets it's like it's you have to do a lot of thinking intentionality about where you move especially like when you have kids like you want you want you want a certain picture for them you have to do some intentional planning out it's not just like oh it'll be okay wherever we go unfortunately yeah. that's not always the case I mean I would say it's even it's it's weird because you know we moved to LA and we're like everyone's gonna be open-minded and and my partner and I had a lot of problems in South Carolina because they're Indian and so it was very like we were constantly being accosted at restaurants anywhere mm -hmm. else because we were in a very small town there as well and so we were, we were not used to that because we had started dating in Raleigh, which is the capital oh, yeah. of North Carolina. It's got tons of schools. No one even blinked an eye, mm -hmm. you know? And so we, when we got there, we started seeing that we're like, okay, this is not where we would ever raise a family. This is not right. where we would stay. 
Um, and so when we got to LA, we're like, oh, everyone's open-minded. It's so great. The foodie scene is amazing. But there's pockets here. Oh, I yeah. mean, and it came out in full like scope for everyone to see this this past year with with all of the movements that were mm -hmm. happening. It became very obvious where those pockets were. And so I like I, I had like a map and I'm like, okay, not gonna live here, right. not gonna live here. <laughs> not, you know, like right, right. <laughs> so it it is it's very like you said, it's very interesting. You have to be intentional about where you live yes. and what you're around. And sometimes like, I'll try to live in an area just to swing the vote. I'm like, oh, yeah. this is a very, I'm just going to come over here so that when I politically get to make it, like, can swing it a bit. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> every vote counts. You that's know? right. All right. So I have to ask, okay, you said, I mean, you went into bioengineering, but when did the tinkering come back? Yeah. So what's cool about, so it's biomolecular and chemical engineering, but, but because it's the engineering side of it, I'm actually designing like the pipes that the chemistries and biologics are going through, but I have enough of an understanding to work for like, I, I didn't, but I could have worked for like an oil company mm -hmm. designing their processing. And so a lot more of that engineering is, it's about heat transfer and loss of like mobility and heat through the pipes and where you're going to get weird little eddies that form and junk, you know, especially mm -hmm. in a vaccines facility, if you're getting bacteria in that, that's a really bad thing, yep. <laughs> uh, especially for injectables. Um, so the tinkering came back full fledged once I got to college. So when, I, but not until, not until I transferred. So my junior year, what ended up happening was, so like I said, I was living in my car to pay for school, mm -hmm. you know, doing the equation of like, how much does gum cost versus food? Gum suppresses <laughs> eating, you know, like looking at all the biological ways mm -hmm. to make it so my body wasn't hungry. Um, and so I like transfer up and I'm like, there's no way, like, I can't afford this. There, like, I, I even living in my car, I can't afford to, to figure this out. And so luckily I had an amazing admin for my program and she hooked me up with an undergrad research job. And so my first job was redesigning and rebuilding their biodiesel facility because we would get all these different waste stocks and have mm -hmm. to make biodiesel for the school's buses. And so immediately, uh, like I showed up and it was great. The guy was like, he had to be like six, five, big burly dude. He's rocking the car hearts, just real amazing. All American, like farm generated guy <laughs> run like, and his whole thing was to make sure the pilot plant, like we didn't blow it up and ruin his farm. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I don't know that you're going to know how to do this. Uh, <laughs> do you know, do you know what a wrench is? And I just kind of looked down and smiled. I said, just, just wait. <laughs> Uh, don't worry. Just, just trust me on this. And like within weeks, like he was like walking in and just like laughing because I'd be like fully in the tank, like wrenching on stuff. And it was one of those things that like, it all just kind of everything that I had hid fell away and came or everything that I had like, I guess, masked, the mask mm -hmm. fell away and I got to embrace who I was. And like, it was, it was amazing. Like Raleigh was so liberating for me. Like I got to re-embrace my tinkering. I got to like start exploring the parts of me that I had to hide. Like, uh, it was just this beautiful adventure. And I will say though, I never knew it was making, I didn't know it was called making. Um, I just got exposed to the maker side of things when I was doing Mythbusters junior. And so the kids, uh, you know, we're like, oh, are you going to go to Maker's, Maker Fair? And I was like, what's a Maker Fair? And so they explained to me like what making is, what, what the Maker Fair is. And since then, you know, I've like full-fledged jumped into the side and, you know, everything that is Maker. But it is kind of funny to talk to um, other females and, and, and find out when they first heard the term making. Mm -hmm. and, and for most of them, it was later, later in life. So I think it might be a marketing term. Uh, like it might've been one of those yeah. SEO things because yeah. <laughs> I think up until then we were all just tinkerers or, you know, or builders or engineers yep. or whatever we were, but I like it. I like the term making it's I em I've embraced it for my show. So I feel like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, more all en encompassing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm a woodworker and I would generally would tend to call myself a woodworker, but then I'm like, but I don't just do wood. I do like other things too. And, and the maker community to me is kind of scrappy, which is what I like about it. And, yeah. and not, pre and not necessarily pretentious, not focused on like 
what degree do you come to this with and like all of that stuff so I like that about being a maker hey pod squad so one of this week's sponsors is me your host Katie Freeman and I am here to let you know about my very first self-paced virtual class that I have coming up called Wood Stain Rockstar where I'm going to help you understand how you can use general household products and natural stuff to make bright, bold, beautiful color to apply to your woodworking projects. So if you've been following me for a while at Freeman Furnishings on Instagram, you see that I really like to add a punch of color. And so I am excited to bring this class to you so that you can learn how to do that as well. If you want to get signed up for this class right now, I have a wait list open. The class will be coming very shortly. So to sign up on that wait list, go ahead, follow me on Instagram at Freeman Furnishings. Hit the link in the bio and you will find right there. It says, Woodstain Rockstar waitlist. Get on that list. You'll be the first to get the link when it goes live for the class, and you'll get it at the very low introductory price. So please head on over and check that out. And let's head back on in to the podcast episode. I I love that exact part of being um you know being in this community. Everyone is so kind of accepting they're like what do you do and they're all yeah. just so curious that yes. curiosity <laughs> and that that kid love of making is there with everyone and it's like they're like oh if you're doing wood I do epoxies you should also and you yeah. learn yeah. all of these really neat ways to like symbiotically bring it all together and as someone that cosplays and steel works and I'm learning woodworking I learned <laughs> how to turn I kept calling it spinning which I got an award at the end of that uh convention for being the spinniest um, which obviously was the making fun of me. Yes. Uh, but to be fair, it was a metal conference and I spent the entire time in the wood shop because I was like, I already know metal. I don't need to go over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's one of those things that, you know, I think the maker community is so scrappy because they were born from the hacker community, right? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, what kind of building can we start hacking together? And it's like, well, I code and I do electronics and I do this and they just all started coming together and it's like mm-hmm. monstrous Frankenstein, beautiful thing, you know? And so I would like, I just explained to my, uh, my dad, who was born in 1949, that he's a maker and he's like, no, I just work with my hands. I'm like, yeah, what a maker. (laughs) But the one, the one thing that I, that, you know, you, you said it perfectly. There's no bias about what background you come into it with. It doesn't matter if you were an apprentice for decades or you're Mm -hmm. just someone that's learned off of YouTube or you went to school for it. Um, So one of the biggest one of the biggest things I kept having, because I've moved into keynoting in this area, is I kept having parents that would come up to me and be like, I can't get my kid to pay attention in science and math. And I, you know, all they care about is being in the shop. And I, how are they going to ever go to college? <laughs> and it really bothers me because as someone that became an engineer and quickly had to move away from being able to use my hands in that degree, I wish I had known and had available to me the apprenticeship model because I had to leave my full-time career to get back to what I love, which is using my hands and seeing things be built and going from an idea on a napkin to being a tangible, beautiful thing in front of me. And I oftentimes look at the the parents and I had one parent that I, you know, I just very directly said, I was like, you're not going to like what I'm about to say to you your kid. And I turned to the son and I said, what is it that you like to do in the shop? And he started talking to me about machining. And I was like, dude, find a machinist program, find someone to apprentice under, you will make tenfold what I make as an engineer machining. And I turned to the dad. I was like, you don't understand. Like aerospace is in desperate need of welders, (laughs) machinists, people that know these careers and they can make so much money. So that's part of the reason that I, that I wanted to make maker science as a show mm-hmm. because we are taking these beautiful, you know, artisanal learned skills that have years of just trying it and failing and learning this is the better way to do it. And we're combining it with, by the way, there is science behind this because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like this idea that someone that welds is just this big burly guy that doesn't think, you know, because if you go to a, a Navy shipyard, 
Those guys have their, their welds x-rayed on a daily basis. They don't know when someone's going to come and spot x-ray. So they know metallurgy better than I have ever known it. And I had to right. sit through material science classes about right. this, this topic, you know? <laughs> right. And it's something that I just really hope that people start to realize that people that work with their hands also work with their minds and, and start to disconnect that. Cause again, I think it's another hang up that as a society, we've just had ingrained that, the, you know, the, the people that aren't as smart go to a tech school and the people that right. are, no, it's like, no, like I went to a tech school because it's cheap and it's right. a smart way <laughs> to spend two years of investments. You know, right. the books are cheaper. The classes are cheaper. The time is the same. So why not do it at a literally a 10th, a hundredth of the cost, you yes. know, like I just, I love that about the maker community because it's, it's everyone and you learn so much. I love to just go and like pop group to group and listen. And I'm just like, oh, I'm learning so much and like share too, <laughs> yeah, but like yeah. also just be a little sponge absorbing all these beautiful skills these people have and, and everyone's passionate. That's the other thing oh, about yeah. the maker community. Oh, yeah. No one's doing it because they have to, they're all doing it because they love it. And, and when someone's doing something they're passionate about, there's just something about that energy. That's like, ah. oh yeah, that's the. Um, the only, I haven't been to a maker fair yet, but I've been to um, the conference workbench con. And so, and I've gone, this will, this next February will be my fourth time there. And oh, been there at the same time then. Really? I, I want to say my, I went in 2019. Oh yeah. I would have been. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. was like, I was literally incognito, like just checking. Cause I wanted to go. Cause I was like, what's this YouTube thing about? Yeah, like, yeah. and I wanted to like learn about that. So I was just like very hidden with hats on, like taking notes on everything. And I, I, I've met some of my best friends at that mm -hmm. conference. Like that was such, such a well, like orchestrated conference. Yeah. Audio. Yeah. They need to work on the whole audio thing. You can never hear what people are saying. No, but never. <laughs> I, I, I think they rehire the same bad audio people every year. And yeah, you're like, yeah. why? Why, why are we I, not? No, I know. But, but the program is great. The people are amazing. Like, and yeah. I actually, I have never been to a maker fair. I, I learned about it the year that they shut down. So everything oh. I've done is like um, Spring Make, which was mm -hmm. like Lincoln Electric did a, the metal yep. one, Workbench Con, um, Makers, uh, Makers, Makers Camp in the Catskills. I was going to say Makers yeah. Um, yeah. Summer Camp, but that's a different thing. Yep. Summer School, but that's a different thing. But Makers Camp in the Catskills. Yep. If, if you can go, go. It's amazing. Um, plus the cat skills in the fall are just like, I almost bought, I was like, can I just buy a thousand dollar plot of land up here right, and then right. I'll build something on it. Like I'll put an igloo or something like, let me just come and live here. Um, I literally almost moved to New York then 2019. Cause I was like, I gotta, I gotta be here all the time. Um, like that one's really good. Uh, I want to go to maker central, uh, once, mm -hmm. you know, I'm supposed to go, I was supposed to go last year, but you know, COVID. So, yep. There's so many great little, little events and, and they're all so intimate, you know, the cat skills, especially that one's, they're actually going to yeah. do that one in person this year. It is probably bar none. One of my favorite ones. Like I go back to every year. Yeah. I have not been yet. It's definitely one I've been scoping out. I think I'll probably go next year. Um, Cause I've like, I generally do like one big maker event a year type thing pre-COVID, of course. Um, but like, but I already signed up. I'm gonna be doing a carving demo at uh, Workbench Con in uh, February next year. So I'm like, well, but I'll probably do Maker Camp then that fall. Cause it's like, I really would like to go just to get to try out. I mean, I've tried out a lot of different things but not like really. Like blacksmithing, I hugely want to try that like a lot. Oh, they they do it <laughs> so well too. They set up like this entire giant camp and you can just go and forge and blacksmith and like uh, Jimmy Dress's sister came at the end last time and was teaching jewelry making. Like it is just one of the most amazing things. Last time I was there, I went um, to represent the Jesse Combs Foundation. I was mm -hmm. selling bandanas and we were doing photos and stuff. And I didn't actually get to go and like really, but I would walk around at night and check yeah. out all the stations and everyone was just so amped. They had ax throwing, like it is, it is an adventure in itself. And they have, oh, they have this really cool guy that comes with antique tools. And hmm. I actually got, oh man, I got in so much trouble with TSA with this thing, <laughs> but like, look at this little tiny, it's That's like, so cute. 
I'm sorry. I always do visual things and no, forget that's fine. that this is that's, an audio, no, no. an audio thing. But it's like it basically is an old school caliper, but it looks like brass knuckles yeah, on, yeah, a, yeah. on a uh, scan. So I and I of course put it. I wanted to protect it because the glass is missing, so yep. I put it inside of my my giant um, cans mm-hmm. and my my headphone cans. And so of course, all TSA saw was this black box with a weird device like this and two circles, and in the middle a very strongly metal component. So I'm like, oh yeah, no, that looks like a bomb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get what that. And the guy kept being like, what do you have in your thing? What do you have in your thing? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Cause I just bought it. Like I literally was walking right, right. from my camp to my spot. and was just like, oh, I want that. That's cool. I'm going to keep, you know, and just yeah. it, like brain farted that I even bought the thing, you know? <laughs> But so Fantastic. there's just so much great. I can't rave enough about the the makers um, camp. It's just, it's amazing. They, they've yeah. done a great job. So I got, we don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to ask, like you said you were doing this acting thing on the side as like a fun, like hobby. And then it's kind of become not necessarily the acting, but like being in the public eye has kind of become a big part of your life. So like what, what was that journey like of going from kind of the corporate world to public eye world? It's very different. Like I, like I remember my first big break in the Southeast as a commercial actor was that my butt was in a Citibank commercial. And it like, literally it's the back of me, but like my butt, like I always remember my butt made me famous. And it was like a global campaign for the Olympics. And it ran for like 16 weeks. And at the time I was in my engineering job and I was doing, I was traveling all the time. And whenever like one of my customers, they'd be like, Hey, isn't that your butt? And I'm like, yes, yes. And and the rest, my body is there too, but yes, yes, that is. That is my butt because they did what they do. They save money. This is so, this is so like shady. The industry saves money by not showing your face. If they don't show your face, they don't have to, they don't have to pay you residuals. So they literally can just pay you a day rate and run it for 16 weeks to 20 weeks, however long they want to run it. And you never see another dime. And so it's kind of a shady thing. But that commercial, especially, there were literally only three people whose faces you saw. Everyone else was like a passing glance for the back of them. Um, But so it kind of, I went from this thing that was like, oh, this is great. Like I got that money and I didn't really have to do much. Um, And then it got to a point where, you know, I did Mythbusters The Search and I, now I can't, I can't walk through a convention without getting, getting stopped. And I love it. I love, I love talking to the fans about their favorite builds. I love talking to them about building. Um, But there's a, there's a part of it that everything shifts, right? Especially like social media presence wise. Like I know that I want to host kids shows. So like my friends know they can never post a picture of me with a drink in my hand. Uh, I don't post photos in bikinis. Like there's just so many things that I have to think about and in a way hide again. So I guess Mm -hmm. I get to utilize that part of my past too, of learning how to kind of divide out who the public gets to see versus who I, I get to be. Right. And there's things that I have to think about before saying. So for instance, this is the first place that I have ever like acknowledged that I am gender fluid. So, and it's because there hasn't really been a safe space to do that in before. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the reason I was really excited when you asked me if I could (laughs) be on the show, Um, because it's something that I don't, I don't hide, but I also, I also have to think about like, I'm wanting little girls everywhere to know that building is cool, but I don't want them to associate it with, they have to be a certain way to build. Right. So there's Mm -hmm. this, this part of it that every single thing has to be looked at from every angle. Um, you know, with relationships, you don't, you don't publicly cause makeups and breakups and everything else mm-hmm. are, are a natural part of life, but you don't want to have to explain every single one, you know? So yeah. I've made the decision that partnerships are never online just because my online presence is promoting an outreach and kids. So mm-hmm. they don't need to know who I'm, who I'm dating, what I'm doing in my personal life. Um, there's also that aspect of protecting your family. So like, you know, my, my parents and my siblings, uh, they didn't sign on for this. My nieces didn't sign on for this. And so having to go back and teach them about how to make their accounts private, you know, when the search came out, my stepmom, who's a beautiful young Thai woman was getting accosted by fans of the show because they thought she was my hot, like stepsister or something. 
And, you know, she looks way younger than she is. She's right. actually not young, but she <laughs> looks very young. Right. Um, and so I had to like talk to her about how to do it. And it becomes a smoke and mirrors thing where I have, I have the Facebook that is, is buried and hidden that no one can find that has the people that I love and respect and never want to bring into the light unless they want to be on it. And then I have the public facing fan page and all of that. And, and it honestly comes down to, you know, this big topic that we talk about all the time as a nation consent, mm -hmm. you know, do they consent to being put in the public eye? Like even my friends here in Hollywood, I ask them before I tag them, you know, and I have, mm -hmm. I have female friends that before I didn't think about it. And just because they were in Hollywood, I was tagging them. And then they were also getting influxes of followers that I'm used to the not okay things mm -hmm. that get said, that get sent, that are what they are, but they're not used to that. And it's not fair to put them through it, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's that part of it. There's, I, I'm okay with all of it. You know, like my godmom gets mad. She'll come to, she'll come to, like, she came to North Carolina Comic-Con with me one day and I had a gentleman come up and explain to me why my build was not correct. And she's from, she's from New York. And like, she <laughs> is New York through and through. Like she's original OG New York. <laughs> and she, and I was like, whoa. And I had to explain to her like, the fan is always right. It's like the customer is always right. You just, you have to be able to have a thick skin and let it roll. And the trolls of the internet are always going to be the trolls of the internet. And you just have to let it, let it come and go. And I, I remember that being a very big discussion point for us. Cause she's like, you are a strong female engineer. I taught you to be a strong female and to not take guff from men. Why are you like, and I'm like, look, it's, this is part of the job. Yeah. You know, like I can be right and I cannot have a job or I can, I can be open-minded. I can be a scientist. I can, I can look at it from everyone's perspective. I can think about what biases they might be coming mm -hmm. into the conversation with. And so for me, I just always let curiosity lead um, in that respect. And I think I, on social media, I think if more people would just like realize it's more about the person on the other side of the screen yep. than this one. Yeah. Um, but that's why like protecting them from that world is, is so important. And it's not something I ever thought I'd have to think about, you know, like, um, and, and there's also the part of like, if I'm on TV, does that make it so people won't take me serious as an engineer? Mm. And that's been a really big part of it. Um, I have just recently started sharing what I'm doing on LinkedIn because I, I put the show up and I had one, like someone that I had known as a manager for a long time, come up and be like, this is going to ruin your career. Don't put this on LinkedIn. And in reality, it doesn't, you know, right, um, right. but it was something that for a really long time, I was like, well, this is going to be a passing fancy and they're only going to have me for a season. I don't want to risk that, you know, and there is that part of it too, that when I build um, I'm representing me as a consulting design engineer too. Mm -hmm. So I have to always be cognizant. Um, I can't just be a clown on TV and be like, this was really hard to use glue and cardboard and make a boat right. because I designed a vaccines facility during a pandemic, right. you know, like, and if I were to suddenly be like, oh, this is too hard. I, I would then put into question all of my consulting jobs. And yeah. that's my, that's literally how I pay my bills. Like Hollywood does not pay money guys. Like right. anyone that thinks yeah. it's going to, unless you're going to become Brad Pitt, it's not going to happen. Um, you're always going to have a day job. Um, so I have to be very protective of my corporate job because of that as well. So, you know, sometimes, especially in media, they, they misportray Mm -hmm. what a scientist and an engineer says. So I, I have final lock and say on everything. And I explained to them, like, this is my actual job. I'm not going to let you, like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to say that. I'm not, you know, like kind of things. And so there's a, there's just this weird dichotomy where there's the engineer me and then there's the TV me and the actor me, cause I am a union actress <laughs> as well. Like you, if you give me anyone else's name, I'll say whatever you want. I'll do whatever, you, like I can, I will be a, you know, mm -hmm. a, a leprechaun running around trying to steal, like not let people steal my gold. I'm fine with that. But like the minute it's my name mm -hmm. on that screen uh, in that bottom thirds, that's when I'm like, no, like if you, mm -hmm. if I'm playing me, <laughs> me would not say that, you know, but like if I'm playing Sharon and right. you know, we're in yeah. the eighties and I got a side pone, you know, there's no limits. <laughs> Hey makers, today's episode is sponsored in part 
by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, and also great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout. If you enter the code maker mom, you will get a 20% discount off any of the merchandise that you buy. So that's just toolmomstore.com. All right, let's head back into the action. So, I mean, knowing that you've had this like interaction with, um, I would say like kind of the more YouTube famous maker world, Do you think there would have been a benefit of growing up in that space versus TV space? Because I feel like I feel like there's definitely similarities behind some of the stuff you said, but I do think there's more freedom, perhaps, on the YouTube side to like be yourself type thing. Yeah. So YouTube is such an interesting thing because for me, YouTube was always just where I kept my portfolios. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm still learning a lot about YouTube. I didn't, I, and I learned about YouTube from Alan Pan on Mythbusters, the search. I had never even, I looked at YouTube to like, be like, okay, I need to go change my spark plugs. And I've never done it on a Honda. Like that's what I was going to YouTube for at that point. Um, I wish I had known about YouTube sooner one, because all the YouTube stars made tons of money in 2020 because their industry did not close down. Mm -hmm. Um, and two, it does give you a lot more freedom. I have found I'm really bad at editing though. And I have to do that a lot now and I don't like it. It's not something I enjoy. Um, And so I don't know, but I think I would have to be part of a team if I were going to do YouTube. (laughs) Um, Hollywood actually blocks. So like when I signed with Mythbusters, I had to sign that I would not have a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. aside from what I already had. Um, And so that's an interesting like enigma in itself. But I do wish I had known about just as a whole, like, the maker side of things. So I didn't know that science and maker television is reality TV. When you say reality TV to me, I think Kardashians and I want to vomit. Like that is, that is all I think. Um, And so I spent a long time as an actor being like, I want to play an engineer. I want to play a scientist. I would show up and I'd be like, I, you know, I am an engineer. I'm a scientist. And they're like, no one will believe it. No, I'm like, my, I've got a degree. No one will believe it. You know? And so I, you know, my very first thing I did as an engineer was I went and got Lasix. And then when I became a, uh, an actor, I went and got fake glasses because when I put them on, suddenly I might be believable, but I was just not getting the, the roles at all. And it was because I didn't realize that like maker TV was reality TV. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I wish I had known about the making community sooner because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have invested so much money and time and taking acting classes where I got taught to runway walk, which I'm five foot, that's not very useful. Um, <laughs> you know, like I think I invested and, in, and in kind of spent a lot of time in the wrong space. And so now I talk to kids like, and I, if they're like, oh, I want to be an actor. I'm like, well, why? And then we talk about like, okay, well, that would actually be this type of acting or that would actually be this type of career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a way it's been helpful because I, I, I run w- workshops with little girls, um, teaching them acting, you know, once a month. So it's still something that I love and do. And I like playing make-believe. Um, so I do enjoy that still as a creative outlet, but I don't think it ever would have been able to be a full-time job like, mm-hmm. like reality TV, science TV, or YouTube could have been, so... Yeah. YouTube is so great. It really is. But I, but kids need to know that if they want to be YouTube stars, they need to have the education or the experience before doing it. It is very unsafe to pretend to be a scientist. There are a lot of YouTube stars that have died. Like there was someone that literally put dry ice into a hot tub in a closed room with a bunch of YouTubers and they all died. And it's like, this there's a scary side of science right. and right. tech <laughs> you know like it's like you can look over someone's shoulder and watch a youtube video to a point but if you look over someone's shoulder that's welding you're going to go blind so like yeah. know know the sign like know the the skills and sciences behind anything before you touch it because youtube yeah. stars man it scares me so like i've had to like write some of them and be like look 
I know you think you just created blast shields, but those are really thin plexi and you shot paint at it and it moved. And I've, sh I've literally set off C4 and mine haven't moved. Like, <laughs> please be careful what you explode in front of that. You know, mm -hmm. like it's just scary. Yeah. Yeah. I no, I get it. I, I mean, <laughs> we actually, we have a lot of conversations around my house about YouTube just because I mean, kids these days watch a lot of YouTube mm -hmm. and um, and watch, you know, we kind of monitor what they watch um, on there. But there's conversations because it's like I have my very, very tiny little YouTube channel, you know, and then I have my now almost eight year old telling me what I should put up there and what I should not put up there. Um, <laughs> they would know, though, in their the audience. So. I know, I know. <laughs> Well, but his thing is like, he's like, woodworking's boring. Why do you even bother putting that stuff up there? Um, but, I love woodworking <laughs> channels. When the like sawdust is like in the curl, I'm like, ah, so you just got to make sure you got the slow-mo, the buttery B-roll shots, right? Um, but yeah, definitely um, a thing. Okay. So I'm watching time and to be respectful of your time, I want to make sure I give you a chance to let everybody know like... Where do you want them to come find you and see all the things you're up to? Yeah. So I think the easiest thing to do would be to go to my Instagram and it's at the real Tamara Robertson. Um, and I have a link tree there and it will take you to everything else. It'll take you to the new maker science show. It'll take you to the seekers of science comic book. It'll take you to my ask auntie series, which is where my niece sends me really weird science questions and facts and we deep dive sloth poop and things like that. <laughs> um, it'll it'll just take you to everything uh, via that link tree. And oh, and the Tinkering Bells podcast as well. Um, so uh, I'm I'm behind. So enjoy the first four podcasts, and I'll catch up. <laughs> the forty kids took up my life. I think I yes. got like twenty, maybe maybe. 10 to 20 hours max of sleep that entire week. So, sure. um, but I will get <laughs> caught up, but yeah, it's all, it's all there on Instagram. Plus all the, you know, the fun pictures and stuff. And I'm, I'm definitely more active there. I'm on Twitter and every, and, and Facebook and stuff. And those links are there too, but I would say uh, Instagram is where I'm most active. Okay. And yes, and I will be including that link tree link for the show notes for the podcast episode. Um, and I just want to say thanks for yeah. saying yes and coming yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, this has been amazing. And I, <laughs> and I can't wait to like, to amplify what you were doing. I'm like, so I wish I had known about your podcast when everyone was like coming up and being like, there is no girl podcast. I'm like, what? I like looked, I was like, there are hundreds of episodes. There is yes, literally yes. a girl's maker podcast already. Like, this is not, we are not the only one. Like, no, no. Uh, oh, and I love it. You have, you have such a, a like a diverse and, and plethora of amazing builders to share with the world. So I want, yes. I definitely can't wait to start amplifying. So oh, thank you so much. Yeah. All right. So again, that was Tamara Robertson. I'll include the link on how you can follow along with her and see all of the amazing things that is going on in the, uh, I'll just call it the world globe of Tamara because so many things going on, so many exciting things. So include that link in the description for today's episode. You can find that uh, on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. And if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, just go ahead and check out the link down below to follow along. If you enjoyed today's episode or any previous episodes, please make sure that you hit subscribe, head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, and most importantly, please share about the podcast with two people, two other friends that you know aren't currently listening to the podcast and help us reach 10,000 downloads a month, right? We're trying to hit at least one before the end of the year. Right now, we average about 2,500 downloads a month, and we're trying to hit that 10,000 mark. If that happens, I will make sure that we have an event with a live podcast, along with getting Ashley Minnie there to perform the intro song, Crafting Revolution, live, right there. So let's hit that 10,000 download a month mark. Share with a couple of your friends. When I am not interviewing awesome guests and making two podcasts a week, you can find me designing and making furniture and other home decor at freemanfurnishings.com 
and at Freeman Furnishings across pretty much all of the social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it, I'm there. I'm active pretty much daily on Instagram and TikTok though. So if you want to see what project I have currently going on, that's the place to come find me at Freeman Furnishings on Instagram and TikTok. So go ahead and check that out. And while you're there, make sure you follow along with the podcast too, at Crafting a Revolution. So you can see when new episodes go up, if you don't have that little bell notification on your podcast app. All right, so we're at the end of the week. I hope that you are going into a great weekend. And as always, let's go craft a revolution. Solution for the toxic masculinities. Pollution is the constant evolution of the